Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Probably no place to see a better picture of that than if you look at air travel. I was thinking recently of the first time I went on a flight as a teenager and everything that has changed since then. So for anybody younger than me, let me just fill you in on what once was. It used to be you could show up at the airport just minutes before your flight with nothing in hand but a ticket. They didn't even check your ID. You didn't have to take your shoes off. And the only thing you could call security was a metal detector and a mall cop. But then the world changed. 9-11 happened, and everything looked different. And now when we go to the airport, we wait in long, long lines. You've got to show up an hour or two before you come. There's multiple layers and levels of security. You can take no liquid with you over 3.4 ounces, very specific and not large enough for many of the travel things that you actually want to take on the flight. You have that body scanning machine you have to walk through. Everybody remember this one? The body scanning machine that I learned the hard way you don't want to accidentally set off. I was actually on a trip with Valley's Inn. We were headed to Nashville to record our first album. And I was on cloud nine and somewhere I must have missed when the TSA agent said, please make sure that your cell phones are out of your pockets when you walk through the machine. And so when I walked through smiling with my arms up and heard alarms going off, I realized a second too late. And I tried to jump and let them know. Like, I was like, oh no! And I reached and that only freaked them out more. <laughs> to which a TSA agent leaned in, put a hand on my shoulder and said, we're going to need you to step aside for a more intensive search. With his hand still on my back, he said, would you like a room? And I was like, what? What is about? No, I don't want a room. As he proceeded to walk me to the end of an invisible aisle, facing absolutely every passerby in the terminal, and to provide a scan that would make sure that there was absolutely no possibility that anything foreign was entering on the flight. I gotta tell you, after that time in Nashville, there are certain exams I don't even need to go to a doctor for anymore, thanks to TSA. We found with flight that the world changed again in 2020 with a global pandemic. And now when we go on flights with all those other things that are true, we have to wear masks all the time. So on a flight recently with my daughter Annabelle and we tried to uh, keep ourselves from cracking up as the passenger next to us conveniently kept falling asleep with his mask down and to a very irritated 
flight control crew. You'd have stewardesses coming by going, Ma mask, sir, 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 mask, sir, mask, sir, mask, sir, mask. Annabelle thought we were flying with one of the knights of the round table. She's like, Dad, it's Sir Mask. There he is right there. But you know, in the midst of this world that is ever-changing, some things stay the same. I think about when I go on flights, and you know, in all the years that have passed, though they've tried to spice it up, that safety talk before takeoff is always exactly the same. I'm not sure why, but they feel the need in this safety talk to start off, it always starts the same way. First of all, they show you a seat belt and how to put it together in case this is your first time out in public. <laughs> they step from there to show and tell time where they inflate a vest for you to see by blowing through a little whistle. After this, they give the pep talk. They say something like this with a smile on their face. In the event of a crash, your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. Now, I wasn't great in physics, but I am pretty sure that the height of the plane times the speed we're traveling times the velocity of our fall times the force of impact is greater than seat cushion hope. I think we're going to need something more than that. But you know, it's funny, before I want to roll my eyes at that talk, there's always one part of that talk that I think is the most brilliant metaphor for life. They say this. They say, in times of extreme turbulence, oxygen masks are going to fall from the ceiling. And please make sure that you secure your mask before attempting to help someone else. Why do you think they say that? See, I think that they understand that there is something that is in us that when we see people we love who are in crisis, it's easy and automatic to jump into rescue mode. I'll go, I'll save. But what they're saying is if you don't secure your mask, you can't breathe and everybody loses. We've been in the midst of this series called Built to Last. We've talked about how our lives are like a race that God wants us to run, a marathon all the way to the finish line. We've talked about how our lives are like a house, not a cookie cutter build, but a unique one of a kind, and a house that's not built on sand, but a house that he wants to be resilient and strong and secure for generations to come. We've talked about this life that God has for us. Jesus said that it is life and life to its fullest, and that this kind of life can only be lived when we choose to build our foundation on God-given rhythms. That there are certain things that we have to do and prioritize and keep doing to move our resolutions, our hopes, into realities. We started our series, we shared that the biggest foundation in our life is the foundation of friendship with God. That though he's the God of the whole universe, that we can actually know him intimately as a friend, to breathe him in like air, to walk with him every moment. And so practically we talked about how you and I can build rhythms to build our, our whole hope on friendship with God. Two weeks ago, we moved from that and we started to talk about building a foundation upon the people that God gave you to share your life with. Your super fam and your friends and your missional community the people that mentor you and the people that you get to lead in life. And then last week, we made space where we actually went and did it. Last week was awesome. Somebody said, hey, last week, did you guys cancel church? No, last week we went to be the church, right? Church isn't a building, church is a body. And so as we shared in that last week, it was awesome. 
this morning as we come together, I want to talk about what it looks like for a you that is built to last. I want to remind you and I that right now we are living in days of extreme turbulence. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And if you're anything like me, you're finding when you go about your life that oxygen masks are falling all around us. But you need to hear me. If you don't secure yours, you can't breathe and everybody loses. There's turbulence. People are upset. We want to go in rescue mode. But if you don't secure yours, you can't breathe and everyone loses. And so this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the rhythms of physical and emotional health. How we can position ourselves not only to live, but to give life to those that we get to be on this flight called life with. And it's interesting. When you look at us, body, soul, and spirit, there's a lot of things that have changed, but some things stay the same. And listen, if you want health in your body, soul, and spirit, there's really just three rhythms that you need to build your life on. Rest, replenish, and refine. Now, I want to start first by talking about how that actually looks with our body, with our physical health. To rest, replenish, and refine. Anybody here want to experience life to its fullest? I only see your hands. Anybody here want to experience life to its fullest? I only see half the hands. Anybody here? Some of you are like, I'm not going to do it. Now that you just said to do it. For you, I'm just saying. All right. If you want to experience life to its very fullest, it starts with this. It starts with rest. And this is really, it's crazy because as I've looked through the years, I've studied many uh, tons of personal trainers, nutritionists, life coaches, fitness plans, documentaries, books. And it's crazy because all of them, no matter what the fad is, from the time that I gained my freshman 25, I've cared a lot about my health. And no matter what fad or diet or book or study I've looked at, they all come back to the same basic tenets. In fact, I'm going to tell you this morning that all of us have heard them. We're not going to hear anything that's new. The issue isn't that we don't know them. The issue is that we haven't made priority to do them and keep doing them over time. Where does it start with our bodies? We've got to rest. Let me break it down. We need to get enough sleep. There's a verse I love in Psalm 127. It says this, God grants sleep to those he loves. Isn't sleep a good gift? But here's what's crazy. When I talk to people of every single age, this is one of the most universal. It's here with our sleep that we're most prone to act like Superman. I don't need rest. I'm okay. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And this is people of every age. This is the young kids that are wanting to stay up and play Fortnite. This is the workaholic in the middle. We're, we're just always saying, no, I can, I can stay up late and I can get up early. And then we'll say things like, I've been built to go on three hours of sleep. That's just how I'm built. It's like, then why are you so irritable is what I want to say. <laughs> we act like we're Superman and we don't realize that overworking beyond our margins is the kryptonite that is weakening us far more than we know. Leadership expert Carrie Newoff wrote this article called Sleep, the Leadership Secret No One's Talking About. And he wrote this. He said, according to medical research, chronic lack of sleep can cause weight gain, age your skin, decrease your sex drive, impair memory, and contribute to illnesses such as diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, and even premature death. He goes on in this article to say that sleep debt leads to a lack of mental clarity, breakdown in work performance, burnout, and severe strain in emotions and relationships. If we want to be the best you, we have got to choose again to build rhythms where we rest. 
The second is this, that if we want to be physically healthy, we've got to replenish. What does that mean? It means that we receive our nourishment in what God made. I love this verse, 1 Timothy 4.4. It says, everything God created is good, and nothing God made is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. When you hear the nutritionists speak, they always go to two things that God made that we desperately need. First, they say, you've got to drink enough water. Not drink enough liquids, not drink enough coffee, not drink enough Gatorades, not drink enough sodas. Water, as God made. And when we drink water as God made it, it's life in one of the most bold ways. Listen to this, the Harvard Medical School looked at the effects of water on our body, and this is what they said. They said, water delivers oxygen to your body, normalizes your blood pressure, stabilizes your heartbeat, aids in digestion, cushions your joints, and regulates your body temperature. I find it amazing in a world that doesn't believe in God, and we're spending all of our time and money to come up with these artificial ways that right before us, free and abundant and everywhere, is this gift called water. And when we drink it, it's life. Nutritionists go on the other way, and they say this, we've also got to eat what God made. That modern foods that we see, you know this, we've seen this, you've watched the documentaries. Our modern foods are full of complex ingredients that have been manufactured in a lab for the result of increasing shelf life and profit, not nutrition. And often, processed foods, what that means is they're processing out nutrients God made and adding a lot of foreign elements that our bodies weren't created to process and hold and burn. And some people through the years have said, you know, Pastor Shaw, I appreciate that. I appreciate your passion, but should we preach this in church, really? I mean, you're not like a nutritionist. Should we preach this? Should we just stick to the Bible study in church? So if you're wondering right now, should we preach physical health in church? Here's my answer. Yes! And there's two reasons. Number one, there is no separation of sacred and secular. My Jesus doesn't just belong in a box called spiritual life. He's the Lord of all of creation. He's the Lord of science and nutrition and fitness and health and your physical body. And he came so there would be life in every cell he created. But let me take it further. As a pastor, why do I feel an urgency to preach this message? Because I'm heartbroken of going to countless conferences and hearing countless prayer requests of sons and daughters lamenting, why won't God heal me? When I look at their story and see that the problem they're facing is not a spiritual attack nearly as much as it's my people perish for lack of knowledge. That we poison ourselves over and over and over again and we get in the ministry line and say, God, fix it. God, heal me. And I want you to know this. My God is in the healing business. He is the healer. He is amazing. So if you're going and you're saying, God, I'm asking for a crop failure, he'll do it. It's amazing. But I watch people leave this line only to go back in ignorance and poison themselves all over again and six months later wonder, why didn't my healing stick? Why didn't it last? And I've heard all the spiritual mantras we've given when God has been good. So I want you to hear me. Yes, God will heal you, but even more so. Somebody say even more. Even more, God made our bodies healing factories if we would allow them to run as he created them. We've got to rest, and then we've got to replenish. By this period of picture of replenish, what I'm saying is we've got to get rid of the toxins and then eat and drink what God made. I love this. In the times that I served on the, the board of uh, directors at the YMCA, spent time around a lot of nutritionists, a lot of just really amazing people, and they all said the same thing. 
They said, everything in moderation. And this is what they meant. You want to go get a brownie? You want to eat some Cheetos? That's all right to have that from time to time, as long as you're building the foundation of your nutrition upon what God already made. And that's the issue of replenishing. We want to be healthy, we've got to rest. We want to be healthy, we've got to replenish. But there's a third one. We want to be healthy, we've got to refine. And this one comes down to exercise. Moving in the way God intended for you. I think about the words of the Apostle Paul who says, I discipline my body and I keep it under my control. And really when the experts start to talk about exercise, mostly they fall into two broad categories. One they talk about is cardio. Now whether that's jogging or swimming or CrossFit or biking, what they're talking about with cardio is moving the internal systems of your body to be strengthened so that they run you effectively. Many of the times you're running cardio, it's over time you're going to see a result in the mirror, but it's actually internal what you're changing. The second type of exercise they talk about is building muscle. When you go and you lift weights in the gym, what you're doing is you're growing beyond your current ability. And the way we actually grow muscle is that you lift something that is beyond your capacity and actually your muscle tears under the weight. And then when you choose to rest, your body heals. And when it knits back together, it knits the fibers stronger than they were before and you grow. Rest, replenish, refine. We gotta sleep. We gotta eat and drink what God made. We gotta, we gotta exercise. And listen, this is so cool. This past week, I was talking with my good friend and our overflow member, Kim Masters, who's right here. Kim is a nutritionist and a wellness coach. And man, she gets fired up about people walking in fullness. And so when I asked her, as I do anytime I find somebody that I see an anointing, I'm going to ask you about your anointing. And so I said, Kim, just tell me, what is it you're seeing with people in their physical health? And she didn't even pause. She's like, two things. Here it is, two things. Regularity and accountability. You want to know the two things you need to stand on, regularity and accountability? I said, that's amazing. It's rhythms and community. Anybody who's been in this series, does that sound a little bit familiar? Now listen, for somebody today, I believe today's invitation in a few minutes it's going to be an invitation into a rhythm in your physical health. That it's time, the excuses have been there, the waiting's been there, and the next plan's been there, and it's awesome. And so in a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to ask God, what does it look like? But here's the important part. We're going to give a chance together that you would not do it according to your own willpower and your own plan, but that you would receive the wisdom and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to walk in the health that he has for your body. Now that said, what I really wanted to do this morning was to give a picture of something we're very familiar with in our bodies so that we can see these three rhythms. And in the rest of our time together, I want to apply these three rhythms to our souls. I want to apply it to the internal you and ask the question, how can you let God build the best you? In the midst of turbulence where everything is shaking around you, how do you constantly secure your mask so that you can breathe and you can give life to the rest of the world around you? The rhythms are exactly the same. The first, we have got to rest. What do I mean by rest? We've got to protect Sabbath and do not disturb times. I want you to think back with me to the very beginning of the story. In Genesis, in the garden. None of you were there, but think back when you studied it. What was the very first human activity? See, some people say, oh, it's easy. Adam named the animals. Nope. Oh, it's easy. God said rule, and so they ruled over the earth. Nope. See, we were created on the sixth day. And it says that as soon as God made us, before anything else happened, he blessed us. And in this blessing, he gave us a preview of everything that was coming. And then it was the end of the sixth day. And he and we rested. 
Did you know the most foundational human ordinance, the most foundational definition of what it means to be human is Sabbath. We rested and then we worked. We rested and then we worked. You know, sure enough, you look in the whole created order and you see this cycle between rest and work. The sun sets and it rises. The ocean ebbs and it flows. In winter, the land is resting in preparation for the abundant life of spring. And so I want to say to us in the same way that I hear people all the time with sleep, and they say, I don't need sleep, I don't need sleep, I don't need sleep. They say the same thing with soul rest. I can go and go and go. And I want to tell you, to deny the rhythm of rest is to choose to be subhuman and to stomp on the toes of the cosmos in a dance called life. God is so serious about the rhythm of rest, he anchored it in the Sabbath. Uh, he anchored the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments and over 150 times in the Bible. We go forward in the New Testament, and Hebrews tells us this. It tells us that in its truest sense, our Sabbath isn't a time, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. That Jesus came to be our Sabbath, and that because of Jesus, because of what he's done, there will never, somebody say never, there will never be another moment where you will need to strive or perform or prove ever again. Somebody get excited about that. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I know we hear it, but you need to get it when you get stressed out. Say, I need Sabbath. Jesus came as your Sabbath. What that means is you never get, need to get on a hamster wheel again to perform and prove and get a reputation and please. God's pleased. Somebody hear me this morning. God's pleased with you in your present place of maturity, in your present understanding. It's faith like a child, not faith like an expert. Some of you are constantly going, and what you actually need is to receive Jesus' Sabbath. Okay, I don't need to try to save myself anymore. It's enough. But that said, our souls still require rest. So to people right now that you burn the candle at both ends, you go every day, you never take a day off, you wear it as a badge of honor, and you say, you know what? Well, here's the thing. I'm strong. I don't need rest. You need to hear me this morning. Sabbath isn't about weakness. It's about wonder. Sabbath isn't about weakness. Sabbath is about wonder. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but you and I were not created as production machines. God did not have a shortage on his quota in heaven and thinking, you know, I really need to create something to help me out with all this, to lift the load a little bit. That's not what we were created for. We weren't created for work. We were created for wonder. And you need to understand that the Sabbath is a gift that came before the law to ground you and I in staying fully alive. What is the gift of Sabbath? The gift of Sabbath is one day every week you shut down the production factory. There's no to-do list. There's no multitasking. There's no, I gotta just get this done today. It means one day a week that your family is not running everywhere, but you're present with each other. It means one day you're not returning phone calls and your phone is not on your hip. It's turned on do not disturb and you're not available. It means one day you sleep in and stay in your PJs all day if you want to. It means one day that you're available uh, for anything other, you're not available for anything other than what allows you to breathe, rest, recharge, remember, and refocus your heart on the perspective of reality. That you're a beloved kid in the midst of a gift called life. I don't know what's going on in your world right now, but I know this. You are beloved and life is a gift. But it's only in Sabbath we stop and we remember it. 
And now when I talk about Sabbath, we could give a million tips and strategies. We've done some here, and there are so many good resources. If you're here going, I don't know how to start, right on our website, myoverflowchurch.com. You can go down under resources. We've got a resource called Restoring the Rhythms of Rest. If you're looking for practical, it's right there. I want to make this bottom line this morning. Because most times, I don't think we don't rest because we don't have enough practical ideas. I think you need to hear this. You require Sabbath, period. You require Sabbath. It's not an option. It's not something that we add as an elective. You require it, and God would never order your schedule to be busier than the blueprint he stamped on your soul. I love as Pastor Aaron came a few minutes ago and talked about uh, tithing, and when we learn to trust God tithing, I'm going to tell you, learning to trust God in the Sabbath is the same as learning to trust God in the tithe. When we come to God in a way that seems like it would be unconventional and it seems like it would work against logic, taking something away, what you find is that God delights to take the rest of it exponentially further than when you had the full amount of your time and your resources. God blesses you abundantly when you choose to rest. So I'm going to tell you, you need Sabbath. I'm going to go beyond that. Some of you are so chronically busy that you need daily mini Sabbaths. You need times within your day where you set do not disturb, you silence your notifications, you put the phone on the nightstand, you don't go on social media because we've been made to rest. You want to secure the mask, you've got to rest. The second one is this. We've got to replenish. What do I mean? I mean that we take the things God made that make you come alive and then do them as if your life depended on it. Now listen, right now if you're hearing me and you're thinking I go through most of my days and it's mundane and it's blah and I get some highlights that'll come, but life for the most part is just then you need to hear this next statement again because that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come and say, I came to give you life and it's going to be blah most of the time, but sometimes it's going to come through and be really amazing. He said, I came to give you life every moment more abundant than you can imagine. God didn't say, hey, with your request, I came to give some things and listen, like a Christmas list, you're going to get some of them but don't expect to give everything. No, God said this, I'm going to come and blow your mind with more than your capacity to ask or even imagine. You can't even figure out, no mind has seen, no eye. Have we seen some brilliant people on the earth? He said, listen, none of those brilliant minds have any clue what I have in store for you right now. So if you're getting through your days and you've believed the lie that life is supposed to just be mundane and uh, you need to hear this next part again. It's time to secure the mask. You need to take the things that God made that make you come alive. Those are different for all of us. And then you need to do them as if your life depends on it. Somebody says, come on, our life depends on it? That's a bit. Yeah, well, because it does. Because there are too many people today who are surviving, but not living. They're here, but they're not awake. They're not alive. They're not dreaming. So I think about this. I've got six children in my home. And so there's lots of joyous noise all the time going in my home. Lots of messes, too. Those two tend to go together. You know what it is that makes kids so joyous? It's that they haven't yet forgotten that the world is God's playground and that worship is simply when we come alive on it. When you look at a kid, what you find is this. Kids' days are defined entirely by their passions. They see the things in creation that inspire them, that spark them, that they're good at, that they love, and they just run and do them. They haven't yet developed hoops and rules of everything they have to jump through before it's acceptable and noble and productive enough. They just delight in being a kid. But then we get older, 
and we deprioritize this part of our life. In fact, what we do is we take this whole area that used to be our whole life and we put it in a little box called hobbies that coincidentally we never have enough time for. And we forget how to be human. And we lose inspiration. And we wonder where God has gone. You know, when Jesus said that we were to come to him with faith like a child, I think it means a lot of things, but I think at its core it means don't ever lose your wonder. So let me ask an honest question. I just want to get practical on this for a minute and you're replenishing. Do you live inspired? If I looked at a normal day in the next week of your life, would a normal day be you waking up in the morning and saying, I love my life. I can't believe it's like a little kid who found a playground and he's not even sure he has permission, but he's like, I can't even believe I get to be here. I can't believe I get to do this. Where is it time for you to give yourself permission to recognize that God gave you a life that he wants you to love? Somebody's got to give your, yourself permission today to go, oh, I can actually lead a life I love. We do all these things. Well, I got to do this. I don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Do you live inspired? And if not, I want to ask a few questions. The first, what activities make you feel inspired? I'm going to tell you to do that often. What I think about here right away is one of my closest friends, Caleb Hires. Caleb is the senior leader out at the wrestling place and an amazing man of God. And Caleb loves wakeboarding. I mean, loves it. When Caleb starts to talk about wakeboarding, if you guys have ever met Caleb, he's not short on passion anyway. But when he gets about Jesus and he gets about wakeboarding, he's going to light up. And he will just go on and on and on. And you know what I love? Caleb doesn't have the need to make wakeboarding Christian because the whole world already belongs to his God. And so when he wakeboards, he worships and he comes alive. And so he makes it a priority and he does it often. What activities make you come alive? Do it often. What places make you feel inspired? I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, oh, I just love when I go to the beach or when I can spend some time in the mountains or when I get up in an early morning and it's just quiet in the house and I go, how often does that happen? Well, three years ago. <laughs> Hello? But I don't know where God's gone. No, I don't know where you've gone. We've got to look at the places that make us feel inspired and stop creating these rules and go, maybe, just maybe, God made that as a rhythm that I've got to go there often. I'll ask the question, what people inspire you? What people do you get around? And without fail, when you're with these people, you find yourself believing more, wanting more. You're, fueled. you're not wanting to run headfirst into traffic. The people that you're saying, like, these people just make me better. Get around those people. I would ask the question, what vision for your life is bigger than yourself? Not what a good Christian should do. What is it that lights you up in a way to say, I can't believe that I would be given the permission to do that? You need to do that. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That means if you have no joy, you have no strength. So somebody please hear me when we've taken hobbies and we've despiritualized and we've deprioritized them. We've taken the things that make us come alive and we put them in some other box. And then you say this, I don't, you don't understand, Pastor Chuck. I don't have the time. No, you don't understand. You don't have the time not to. Because that's the only place that you come alive. See, some of us need to return to be a little kid again and stop trying to outthink God and understand that maybe, just maybe, he took those things as a passion of your heart because this whole world is his playground and he's most pleased when you come alive and play on them. Somebody this morning, it's time to give yourself permission for a life that you love. We've got to replenish. Now, let me just say a second thing about this I don't have time to. That sounds so noble. 
I'm just so busy. I'm so important. I don't have time. Um, we've all read the surveys, guys. We have the time. We know the number of hours that we're streaming things online, that we're looking at YouTube, that we're going in social media, that we're scrolling. For most people, what happens is we spend countless minutes just numb. Why? Because we haven't truly rested. So what I would tell you is you need to rest, and then you need to replenish. And if you build your life upon those, you're going to come alive. But there's one more. Is anybody in the room ready to come alive? Aren't you ready to come alive? I'll accept that. One more rhythm to refine. Put yourself around people, places, and pursuits that stretch you and grow you. This is where we're talking about building the muscle of what is you. I love this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, would result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, there is so much going on there. What is it saying? I want to boil it down to basically this. What that verse is saying is that right now, somebody say right now. Right now, God is doing exactly what he promised he would do. Right now, in Christ, you are receiving great mercy. Right now, you are receiving a living hope. Right now, you are experiencing the benefits of an inheritance that is already yours in heaven and being activated on earth that can never fade, that is secure. So right now, even though you may have griefs of many kinds, you need to not misunderstand your days. He hasn't left you, and he hasn't failed you. Much to the contrary, he's choosing to refine you. He's separating the gold that is truly your inheritance from all the other stuff that doesn't belong to you anymore. He's separating us from being a sponge that gets squeezed and all kinds of nasty stuff comes out. He's refining, and we've got to stop misinterpreting our circumstances. He's answering our prayers. He's blessing us more than we could ask or imagine. And he says that if we'd have eyes to see it, the only response we could have would be inexpressible joy. So this last key to our soul help, I'm going to say, we've got to stop misinterpreting our circumstances as if we're victims or orphans, believing that we're only going to be happy when, fill in the blank, when everyone likes me, when I get that job, when our finances change, when my marriage is here, when my health is here, when this blessing comes and it's all perfect, please hear me right now. Your God is being good to you because he's goodness itself. He can't be anything other. Right now, he is lavishing you with unbelievable, scandalous love because God is love. He can't leave you. He won't forsake you. And he's presently living to intercede before the Father 
over your every request and desire. He's not only heard every prayer, he's processed it and taken it to the Father, and he's in the work right now of refining you through it. And many of us are angry at God for doing nothing more than answering our prayers because we don't understand the way he answers. We don't understand refining. And so when life gets tough, we don't understand that he's growing a muscle beyond our capacity to make us stronger in the way that we prayed. We think I'm being attacked, and we get back in the role of a victim or an orphan, and it's killing us as the church. So how does a muscle grow? You take it beyond its limit. You stretch it beyond its limit, and then you rest, and it knits back together stronger. That's why this whole sentiment of God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody heard that one? That is completely unbiblical. Okay? What the Bible says is God will never tempt you beyond what you can bear. What that means is God will never put you in a situation where sin is your only choice. But God will never give you more than you can handle. I want to ask those people, have you read the Bible? <laughs> Did Abraham seem to have more than he could handle? Did Noah building a boat for 100 years when it had never rained seem to be a little bit more than he could handle? David before a giant, or hiding out in a cave for his life, don't you think that's more than you can handle? How about Esther at the annihilation of her people, speak up or they all die, is that more than she can handle? What about Deborah, a leader in a time where women weren't recognized and it could cost her life, but she's got to stand up and rescue her people? What about Paul being shipwrecked and stoned and beaten? I think more than we can handle is kind of the point and kind of God's specialty, because please listen to me. It is only when God gives you more than you can handle that you can go into a field bigger than where you can be your own savior. It is only when God gives you more than you can handle that you step into a field bigger than where you can be your own answer and your own savior with your own current resources. We've got to stop getting angry at God for answering our prayers. This is what I mean. Many of us pray this, God, I want to be patient. Anybody ever say that? Come on, there are parents in the room. You know you've prayed when you snap at your kids. I need to be more patient, right? This is what you need to understand. When you ask that prayer, a very good and loving God, what he's going to do is not magically sprinkle pixie dust on you and make you patient. What he's going to do is allow opportunities where the spiritual fruit that was within you called patience, the muscle that needs to be developed, can be strengthened. And he often does it by putting you in an environment beyond your current circumstances. Let me translate. He'll put you around jerky and irritable people so that you can grow in the muscle and the gift called faith because he's good and he heard you. But what happens is we cry out, make me more patient. And then somebody's a jerk. And you're like, see this God, you're just always assaulting me. No, he's trying to refine you. He's trying to awaken you. We pray, God, I want to be more loving. It's in every one of our worship songs. I just want to be loved. And outside of the church, everybody talks about that, right? Let's just be loved. Love on every bumper sticker. But here's what you need to understand. Love is putting the needs of someone else above yourself, even at the cost of your life. You want a synonym for love? Completely selfless. So you say, God, I want to be completely selfless. Then guess what's going to happen? He's going to put you in circumstances beyond your current maturity, beyond your ability to get over yourself so that you will need to lean into him and mature in love. If right now you're in the midst of more than you can handle, I want you to take heart. It means that God is with you. And it means that where you're headed is more amazing than anything you could ask 
of Nazareth. This scheme of rejection and perfectionism and the need for approval is killing us. Because we're offended at God and at people when God is only answering our prayers to refine us. The call of the church today is we need souls that would joyously choose maturity. Let me ask the question, what does that look like as a rhythm in your life? Here's the question. Who in your life makes you stronger? Who sharpens you? Who challenges you? Who convicts you? Who calls you up? Who is it that you get around you're like, man, sometimes it's like it's in love. They're stepping on my toes. But when I get around that person, I have clarity and I'm stronger. For some people, they will come to me often and say, Pastor Chuck, it's when I get around you and when I hear your messages. And please hear this next thing. I'm saying this with fear and trembling. That what I want to say is when you show up once every six weeks to church, you haven't established a rhythm that you need to be around somebody that's sharpening you. No, listen, I wrestled with that one a long time. I was like, God, I ain't saying that. But that's what we tend to do. We tend to take people in our life and say, you sharpen me, you make me stronger, and then we don't make it a priority, and then we say, I'm too busy. You know what I'm too busy means? Listen, this is what you need to put in place if I'm too busy. That's not a priority for me. Because every day you're choosing priorities. I'm too busy is that's not a high enough priority for me. So I'm going to ask who sharpens you, but I'm going to go a little bit further, okay? If you're going to say, Pastor Chuck, it's you. Listen, I only have the capacity to walk in personal relationship very closely with a few people. And if that's not us, the the strongest way you're going to be challenged is not from a platform. It's eye-to-eye, face-to-face from somebody who's walking with you in life. That's why we've done missional communities. But for missional communities to work the way they need to, we need to choose bold regularity. We need to choose priority that we get past all the facades and how's the weather and get in each other's lives and know that we have each other's back so much. We've laid on our lives for each other that when you come and you're bringing your own bull crap, they'll look you in the eye and say, no, that's a lie. That's a scheme. You're acting like an orphan and you are more than a conqueror. You want to be refined. Who are the people in your life that make you stronger? You've got to make a priority about getting around them all the time. I'd ask the question, what areas in your life is God stirring your heart to grow right now? Where is he saying right now, I have this for you. I want you to do this thing. I would ask, what environment is he calling you to grow in? Maybe right now there's a new skill. There's a book. I remember when God told me, I want you to be an author. It wasn't enough to just sit and type away. I had to get in certain environments and learn the skill of doing it. When I wanted to be a musician, God said, there's a skill. There's a whole thing you need to learn. You need to make it a priority. What's the environment that's going to stretch you? And it might be uncomfortable because that's how muscles grow. But you need to make a priority. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to share the last message of this series. And it's about a calling that is built to last. And in that, I'm going to share how the people who've changed the world, so many of them, share one common trait. And it's that they all have been refined through failure and challenge and adversity. And when life came around them, listen, you want to look at the people who've changed the world, none of them had an easy go at life. Because none of us do. Because everything that can be shaken is being shaken. So if things are shaking in your life, it does not mean God's against you. It means you're in a broken story where the oxygen masks are falling and he's more than enough. Secure your mask, lift your head, know who you are and get back out there. The greatest leaders that have ever come have this common trait that adversity, failure, and challenge came against them, and they did not take it as a victim, but they allowed it to light a fire in them and allowed that fire to refine them. So let me say this. Somebody right now that life seems less than ideal, somebody right now where your heart is broken, somebody right now where you've walked up to the prayer line of God, why don't you come through? You need to know God, the I am, is presently answering all of your prayers with far better than you asked. You will never experience a single moment he is not working 
for your best. But we've got to shed an orphan spirit and a victim mentality. Because right now, guys, we are, we are in flight. And maybe you're in a turbulent season right now. Maybe everything is shaking. Or maybe right now you're like, no, that's not the problem. In my life, everything's good. It's all the crazy people around me. Everywhere I go, all their masks are falling, and I keep hearing all of their stuff. This is the encouragement I want to leave you with this morning. And then we're going to pray and apply it to our hearts. As you choose to build your life upon rest and being replenished and refined, you are securing your mask. You're alive. You're awake. And you're ready to bring the best you to a world that is desperately in need. And that's what it looks like to be built to last. Would you stand with me? And what I want to do, I want to make a beeline to our time of ministry today. I don't want to miss a single moment. So I'm going to ask if you'd close your eyes. We brought three categories today and really about six different challenges that came about our physical and our emotional health. And so as we step into these three rhythms, rest, replenishment, refining, I just want to ask this morning, where is the Holy Spirit stirring your heart? Where is God inviting you on an adventure right now and you need anointing? You need not to go in your own willpower, your own strength. You need to walk out of this place today with the confidence that your God is going with you, that he's taking you somewhere greater than you could ask or imagine, and he's strengthening your spiritual muscles. We want to pray with you. So what I'm going to ask, I'm going to list out a few questions. And if it's you, I'm going to ask without hesitation that you come straight here to the altar. I just want to lay a hand on you and come into agreement that God would release an anointing in your life. What I'm also going to ask is we have other leaders, other prayer ministers in our church. I'm just going to ask while you're at the altar that they would come behind you. Just lay a hand on you and pray for you. What I'm not going to ask this morning is for you to share with anybody while you're coming up. It's enough to just receive his anointing. So right now, if you're being honest and you say, you know what, I got convicted this morning about my physical rest. I'm that person that made the joke, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And right now I'm recognizing that for my family, I'm irritable. And the things God's called me to do, I'm not giving my best continually. It's insanity. I keep expecting it to change. I keep saying it's a busy season, but my life is out of order. I need physical rest. I need rhythms and I need an anointing. I'm gonna ask you to step out and come to the altar. Right now, if it's physical replenishment, it's what you're putting in your body, it's diet and nutrition, that you know right now, hey, the way that I'm eating and what I'm doing, I need an anointing from God. I don't need another fad plan. I don't need another diet. I don't need another 30-day this or 30-day that. I need God. I need anointing. I'm going to ask you to step out. Right now, if it's a physical refining, that you keep saying, this is going to be the time I'm going to get in, we're going to exercise, we're going to go. There's never enough time. And you know right now God said, no, it's the time. This is a priority. You're starting to feel aches and pains you shouldn't feel because your body's not moving enough in the way I made it. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. If you're at the place where emotionally you're looking right now and you say, you know what? I need emotional rest. I'm multitasking all the time. I've got a to-do list going all the time. I don't practice Sabbath. I've said I'm too busy. I don't even know what it looks like because of my crazy work hours, but I need Sabbath. I require it. I see that this morning. I need God to move. I'm ready to go with him. I'm gonna ask you to step out. If you're at the place 
where you're just getting by, and if you're being honest this morning, you'd say, I am starving to be inspired. I'm starving for a life I actually love. I feel like I'm living somebody else's life that's a made-for-TV movie. I'm ready to feel alive, and I'm done believing that my passions are just hobbies that fit in some box somewhere. I'm ready to take them off the shelf and put them at the center of my life. I'm going to ask you to come. You're in an area where God's calling you to grow. You've been through discomfort. You've experienced it all. And you've been angry at God and you've been angry at people. You felt like a victim. You've always come to the place that, that it, it just, you feel like, why is it nothing work out for me? And now you're recognizing this morning that your God has always been in your corner and that what he's doing is answering your prayers and you want him to strengthen your spirit right now to no longer misunderstand his heart, but to see him so that you would grow. I'm gonna ask you to come. And as these are here at the altar, this is what I'm gonna ask. If you are one of our leaders or prayer intercessors in the next few minutes, we're not gonna be in a hurry here. In the next few minutes, I'm gonna ask for you to come around and just lay a hand on whoever the Lord puts on your heart, leaders and ministry team at our church. And I'm gonna come down the line and just pray an anointing and a blessing that you would live a life that's built to last. Father, right now we are asking for anointing and wisdom from heaven to fall, that we would hear what it is you are saying to your children, that each of them would hear the customized blueprint to say, do this, not that. Wait here, release that. That they would see it clearly. I ask right now in Jesus' name that the voice of the accuser would be completely silent. I wanna to say to somebody in the room who's feeling ashamed, maybe you looked and said, hey, five or six of those categories, I'm just not doing well. I wanna say shame off you in Jesus' name. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He has come around you not to make you ashamed, but to make you alive. And what you need to know is when you're at this altar holding your head down, he's lifting it because he's giddy with delight. Because he's about to take you somewhere that you've been praying for and asking for a very long time. So let's take these next minutes right now. Around the room, just allow the Lord to put somebody in your heart and pray for them. We're gonna receive an anointing here and then Pastor Liz is gonna close us in just a minute. Let's receive from the Lord.